Welcome to this edition of V Radio. My name is Neil Kiernan, and I will be your host today. If this is your first time tuning in, please consider following my show either on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or actually there are several other options available. But if you go to the link that you took to get to this show, you'll be able to download it or listen to it whenever you like on archives. Um, you can consider supporting my show on Patreon, but at this time with the pandemic, I'm not really expecting anybody to do that. There's also links to my YouTube channel and the Facebook group where you can follow my show. Uh, my, on my show, I have a lot of different guests that generally, usually progressive, but not always, uh, leaning activists, scientists, politicians, the few good ones, um, and documentary filmmakers, you know, that I bring on to interview and also just general, you know, shows that I do about current events. So thank you for tuning in. Um, today, my guest is going to be Clint Curtis. Clint Curtis was a whistleblower on the issue of election fraud, and he's also now going to be a candidate for Congress in Florida in the 6th District. So before we get started, I'm going to play a clip of Mr. Curtis testifying about this issue of election fraud before Congress. Mr. Curtis, would you please state your full name for the record? My name is Clinton Eugene Curtis. And where do you reside? Tallahassee, Florida. And what is your profession? I'm a computer programmer. Would you please speak into the microphone so the audience can hear your testimony? I'm a computer programmer. Mr. Curtis, are there programs that can be used to secretly fix elections? Yes. How do you know that to be the case? Because in October of 2000, I wrote a prototype for President Congressman Tom Feeney at the company I work for in Oviedo, Florida, that did just that. And when you say just did just that, it would rig an election? It would flip the vote 51-49 to whoever you wanted it to go to and whichever race you wanted to win. And would that program that you designed be something that elections officials that might be on county boards of elections could detect? They'd never see it. Mr. Would you answer that question once again? They would never see it. So how would such a, such a program, a secret program that uh, fixes the election, how could it be detected? You would have to view it either in the source code or you'd have to have a receipt and then count the hard paper against the actual vote total. Other than that, you won't see it. All right, Mr. Curtis, uh, if you had been asked, you or others with your professional expertise had been asked to design a protected program to, that would protect the Ohio elections from against, against such software to fix the election, could you have done so? If we'd been asked to make a program that could fix the election, sure, anybody can do it. No, could you have designed a program or a procedure or a protocol that would have protected Ohio against this kind of rigging? No, you have to look at the source code. You have to get probably programmers from both or all parties to look at the source code and determine if there's anything in there that shouldn't be there. I mean, it's a simple program. You're adding one to a person's total. It's 100 lines of code tops. There's All right. If, uh, are you aware of whether there was any protective action in Ohio against this kind of vote rigging through software? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. You were, you were not asked to assist in the development of any protective system. Is that correct? No, I was not. In Europe, have you uh, reviewed at all the election results in Ohio? No, I haven't. Okay. Given the availability of such uh, vote rigging software and the testimony that has been given under oath, 
of substantial statistical anomalies and gross differences between exit polling data and the actual tabulated results, do you have an opinion whether or not the Ohio election, the presidential election, was hacked? Yes, I would say it was. I mean, if you have exit polling data that is significantly off from the vote, then it's probably hacked. In the pictures that I linked to this broadcast, you could see a picture that I actually put up that was put together by a group called TDMS Research, and it's detailing some of the exit poll deviations in the current Democratic primary. Some of those deviations are in excess of double digits. According to the United Nations, any deviation, even up to 4%, is considered evidence of election fraud. We are currently, obviously, in excess of that. There are a lot of other anomalies regarding this current election. One of the major ones that was pointed out to me was that we're supposed to believe that people are going out in the middle of a pandemic and voting for obscure candidates like Deval Patrick or people who are not even in the race anymore. In addition to the fact that Joe Biden suddenly is winning states where he didn't even bother to campaign and that he went from being like third or fourth in states like Iowa and New Hampshire and like a totally got crushed in Nevada and then wins South Carolina and then all of a sudden wins everything else. None of it really made a lot of sense to me. And TDMS research did an excellent job of uncovering this issue, particularly about the fact that the exit polls get later altered by the mainstream media. And so that's one of the things I will be discussing with my guests. Mr. Curtis, welcome to V radio. Thank you for having me, sir. So Mr. Curtis, the first question I always ask every uh, guest is, what was the precipice moment for you? What made you decide to go from being just a casual observer of politics like most people are to actually being involved? Well, I actually ran once before in 2006 to help expose the whole voting issue. And so I ran against Tom Feeney, which is the guy who actually requested the prototype code for it. And in that race, we actually were polling at um, dead even, a Zogby poll, and we were winning on the paper ballots, but we had the electronic machines here, which are basically, you know, a fixed casino, if you want to say it that way. And he beat me on that, and the totals were so sharp that we could, we actually could find out that it wasn't accurate. We took those voters that voted in the on machines, and we took a poll of them after the election. We walked precincts, and we found out that the totals were off by between 12 and 24% in every precinct we walked. So, so we took that to Congress, and we got a lot of things done. I mean, they didn't overturn the election. Feeney got to stay there for one more term, but we'd already moved the district to the point that he wasn't going to win another term. But essentially, we got rid of the electronic machines in Florida at that time. They arc on their way back. We made some changes around the world. Italy got rid of theirs. Germany got rid of theirs. Other places that weren't highly vested in fixing elections took steps to get rid of them. And so I had success in that, that realm. I then went to law school, and things have gotten so bad right now that, you know, it's time to step back in and uh, kick it up a notch and see if we can't move this country back where we need to move it. 
So that was just in regards to, you know, just the elections that you've been involved in. Obviously, that's one of the things I remember asking you off the air was like, as soon as I heard you were running for Congress, I'm like, well, I wonder if they're going to use the same, you know, election rigging software against him. And it would sound like that would definitely be the case. Now, one of the points that TDMS research makes, which is kind of um, plays into one of the things you pointed out was, and this is a quote, the United States remains one of the few major democracies in the world that continues to allow computerized vote counting, not observable by the public, to determine the results of its elections. Countries such as Germany, Norway, the Netherlands, France, Canada, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, and many other countries protect the integrity and trust of their elections with publicly observable hand counting of paper ballots. You know, one of the points that I made on my video on my YouTube channel about this topic, although um, I, I, it was more or less just kind of a mild segue, but I found that it was interesting that these countries that actually value the integrity of their democracy also, for the most part, happen to be democratic socialist countries like the ones Bernie Sanders talks about, and that it's interesting that you have to have an election integrity to ensure that you're going to have the kinds of progressive uh, plans and policies in place that he supports. Um, so now I, I watched uh, two different films. It's been a long time since I had watched Uncounted, but I, I watched uh, Murder Spies and Election Lies more recently and that was actually one of the things that reminded me about you because I had seen that uh, the video actually that I had just taken that audio clip from uh, way back in 2008. And but you were at this point, we were talking about, wasn't it? Was it John Kerry and George Bush at that point? Um, he was running in that section. No, I think Kerry and Bush was the previous election. That was the hanging Chad one, right? I think so. Well, they did talk about the machines doing crazy stuff under John Kerry. I know that was in one of the films I watched. Okay, it might have but been. But they also Kerry. there was also questions Wrong. about Gore too. So Gore Bush in Florida, ironically, was whether or not the Gore machines Bush were questioned. Gore Bush is the one where uh, hanging chads are. So yeah, I think it is Kerry. Okay. Yeah, but there were there were anomalies in both of those elections, and those were general elections. I think that. Uh, one of the things that led to me reaching out to you is that there is currently this weird backlash. And I say weird because it's kind of strange that all of these people just suddenly showed up in Bernie Sanders um, support you know, groups on Facebook to argue about what Bernie allegedly did wrong. And I keep pointing out that it's kind of silly to discuss any kind of election strategy if the election is obviously being rigged. You know, and the analogy I usually keep making is, well, you know, this is like saying that somebody's a bad race car driver when somebody obviously siphoned the gas out of their tank. You know, no amount of strategy is going to fix that if the computer voting is going to rig the election. And I did share with you some links to TDMS Research's uh, work in regards to the exit polls. And so I'm going to ask you the same opinion that the individual asked you in the testimony. You know, do you have an opinion on whether or not the primary process that we've been engaged in was rigged? Well, I have read through it. Some of the exit polling looks very good and very solid. Uh, others doesn't look like it's been balanced necessarily by the people who voted. The question is, we can't even guarantee who voted because that's electronic as well. So the ones that where they actually polled at the polling place and they took a lot of time to it, 
you know, that has a lot of validity, and that would probably give you a good result. The ones where they call people on the phone, eh, not so much, because you don't know who they're calling. You don't know who's answering. There's so much other things on top that would keep it from necessarily being an accurate exit poll. You need an exit poll that's actually done as people exit. Okay. No, I understand where you're coming with that. Um, I, I think one of the other things that occurred to me is that when you're investigating all of this, that Bernie tended to do a lot better during caucuses, which are much harder to rig, um, although they tried uh, with that shadow app that they had everybody download on their phones that, you know, one of the candidates who mysteriously took first after being like third or fourth in the polls, Pete Buttigieg, um, had invested in that company apparently like $45,000 and that the, the people who made that app are actually were former Clinton staffers. So it definitely makes you question whether or not the shadow app was actually up to par, but it was much more dangerous to try to rig that process because the Bernie Sanders campaign had done a lot to record the outcome of caucuses and caucuses. It's easier to know exactly what everybody did because you can physically watch them do it. Um, it's not a perfect system. I, I did talk to a Tulsi Gabbard supporter who was literally, you know, bullied out of a caucus, like, you know, um, until they left. And, you know, so that's why we, we have the idea of private voting theoretically to protect people from being intimidated. But, you know, now we have this conundrum where we're suggesting that machines are more accurate or in some way more trustworthy. And, you know, so I guess if you could just give a little background on just your journey, so to speak, through this entire process of looking closely at these voting machines and how they can be hacked, starting with like what people literally asked you to do and then going from there. Well, they can be hacked in a million different ways. What I did, mine was an internal hack, which is the most dangerous, especially with, you know, other countries now being involved. Because all someone has to do, let's say Russia wants to hack an election, which, you know, looks like they had a lot of interest in. Um, they, if they could get someone on the inside to insert about 24 lines of code in a program that's 100,000 line, 100, lines long, they could move any election and any race at any time. And there is nothing anyone could do about it, and there is no way to catch it. Because once it is compiled, you'll never be able to find it. Additional hacks just, have been from external hacks. They've been from external hacks. Um, Harry Hursty has done work where he's been able to hack a machine after the election's over simply by installing a few lines of code that basically it's not really a virus in the sense that it's changing things. It's more of a program that alters the database after the votes occurred. Because there are two ways to hack the machine. You can either hack it at the machine level or you can hack it at, well, there's at least two ways. There's more than that. You can hack at the machine level. You can hack it at the compiler level. You can also hack it at the transfer level. So if you can get a man in the middle and you can catch the votes coming in and you have your totals coming from a precinct into the compiler, you don't have to hack the machine or the compiler if you can get in the middle and change what's being transmitted from the machine to the compiler. I mean, it's so really basically, simple. Fact, it's, it's go stupid. ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Oh, oh, no, it's fine. So basically what you're getting at, though, is that it is very simple, and we're talking about a computer, and anybody can change the coding on a computer. Um, 
And, and you just pointed out like how many different ways these things are inevitably going to be vulnerable. I mean, I guess any computer is programmable and therefore hackable. One of the things that came out during the film uh, Murder, Spies, and Election Lies was that there was somebody who had gotten in contact with you uh, on this topic and was investigating it. And um, can you go ahead and tell that story? Uh, sure. His name was Ray Lemmy. He was working for the Florida Department of Transportation. He was an investigator. And um, at the time, there was uh, an issue involving the contract with the company I worked for when I did that, and basically they had been overbilling them. So they were looking into that, but then he started looking into the whole voting thing as well. And we weren't friends by any means. He was an investigator. You know, he would just come and be grouchy and ask questions, and I'd give him what I know. And one time he came in, about a couple days before he died, he came in and he said, I've got this figured out. You know, I, it's, this, has gone, this goes all the way to the top. You'll be thrilled with what I have. Just sit tight and, uh, you know, pay attention. This thing's about to blow up. And, you know, I told him he might want to be careful because there's a lot of people involved that may not want to uh, have him out there investigating. He blew me off, you know, little tough guy. And so a couple days later, he ends up in Valdosta, Georgia, supposedly having committed suicide. And there were no records of anything he'd done, anything he'd taken with him, no notes, nothing. There was a note supposedly he left to his family, but... In my opinion, it wasn't his, because even though we weren't friends, he did talk about his daughter all the time. She was getting married. Nothing in the note mentioned that. And uh, supposedly, the investigators had lost the film of the crime scene, and they made descriptions about what it was. And then later, an investigative reporter, name is Madsen, I believe, found a copy of the film that hadn't ever actually been lost, and it no longer matched what the description of the crime scene was. So the whole thing's a little, it makes you go, hmm. Well, yeah, and one of the things that you guys pointed out in the film was that, you know, he lived in Florida and then just for some reason felt the need to drive all the way to Georgia to kill himself. And the fact that it's not an interesting, I mean, isn't an interesting coincidence that in Georgia they don't do autopsies if somebody commits suicide. It, was I correct in recounting that? That is correct. In Florida, it is required. If someone is uh, determined to commit suicide, they must do an autopsy to find out, to verify it. In Georgia, it's not required. You actually have to ask for one. And, and I guess lived... then... Go ahead. Go ahead. I said he, the place he lived was actually like an hour and 20 minutes away, something like that. So he drove... Out of Florida, out a hundred and you know an hour and twenty minutes away to kill himself with his old dinky nights in, located off the highway. None of it makes sense. It would make sense if somebody wanted to murder him and uh, wanted to make covering it up as easy as possible. And I, I do recall one of the other funny things about that whole situation was that the police said that there was something wrong with their camera, and that as a result there wouldn't be any pictures of the crime scene. And then, mysteriously, those pictures showed up on the Internet. Did we ever get any information about who may have released them? Uh, not that I know of. The, the investigator who got hold of them was named Madsen. That's all okay. I know. 
Yeah, the pictures were pretty graphic. Uh, you can actually find a clip of the film in question on my YouTube channel in my uh, video entitled you know, Bernie Sanders Failed Election Strategy, Are You Sure About That? And <laughs> I put a little bit of clip of that film and a clip of a different film about uh, this called uh, Hacking Democracy. Um, I would check out both of those films if I, you know, as any kind of U.S. citizen, although this could be relevant in other countries as well. So now, obviously, it's been quite some time and, you know, you became a lawyer. Do you still do anything with computer programming? Uh, not really. I play a little bit, but my skills are now outdated. So, right. you know, programs moved on. And so now I am a. I'm an attorney. We basically do whistleblower cases. We sue the government for improper things. So as a I'm sure that makes you I really popular. <laughs> we mm-hmm. do the whistleblower cases. I also do immigration. I do stuff like that. Uh, the firm, we have six attorneys that work for me, work with me, and um, essentially we handle just about everything. So it's, it's, okay. it's fun, but the more I do, the more it prods me to do more and to actually fix some of these problems that I see on a daily basis. Now, as far as, uh, I guess, again, you know, we're discussing something that is at the very core of what our country is supposed to be founded upon. And the idea that it's that easy to control elections. I mean, there are people who say things like this is just a crazy conspiracy theory or whatever, just to try to blow it off. But we have to remember that, the Democratic Party is on record defending itself from a lawsuit in 2000, from the 2016 primary where after you know, people had revealed that the DNC had stacked the deck against Bernie Sanders, um, then it, the people, basically some people in question who had donated a lot of money, not just to Bernie, but also to the Democratic Party itself, wanted their money back. And so they sued the DNC, and part of the DNC's lawyers' legal defense was to point out that we are a private organization, and we're allowed to rig the primary any way we want. We could pick the candidate in back rooms, and there's really nothing they could do about it. Like, that's just things they openly said, and, and they won their case. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why I look at people and say it's actually more likely, because at this point, we could literally catch them in the act of doing the things you're talking about to hack these machines and there's really nothing anybody can do about it. You know, um, I think that there would be repercussions politically, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, because people, that's the other thing people openly talked about was that they felt that uh, Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard and some of the more progressive candidates had failed in some way by not drawing attention to this issue. And I, you know, aside from the fact that somebody got murdered for trying to draw attention to this issue, uh, what kind of personal backlash have you taken for drawing attention to this issue? Well, everyone tries to poo-poo it. Well, let's not put it that way. Everyone who has a dog in a fight usually wants to poo-poo it. And uh, in the 2016 election, when Trump was doing his thing and the Russians were hacking into – and a lot of people think the Russians just basically put on Facebook posts. But essentially what the Russians actually did was they hacked into the very company that regulates voting machines and actually categorizes all vulnerabilities – how you would break into them, they actually hacked into that company and got all that information. They hacked into databases of the actual voter rolls. We're told that they didn't penetrate necessarily the, the actual voting system, but I don't know that we can believe that since that would be something they would not want to tell us. 
And you get these people who say, you know, it couldn't happen here, all that kind of thing. In other countries, they believe. In 2016, in Norway, they had a Trump-like figure running there, and I got a call from one of their people. I think he was in like the their their form of the Congress or Parliament or whatever. And it was about five weeks out, and they said, "We have this. We're still using voting machines to count. How do we protect our machines so that?" This can't be hacked by anybody, Russians or anybody else, because the Russians were toying with their elections, too, they thought. So they had a Trump figure, they had the Russians, and they wanted to know. I told them there was nothing that they could do. They had to count the ballots by hand, or they have to trust their machines and pray for something wonderful to happen because there's no way to do it. What Norway did, because that's bad news for someone who's like five weeks out, right? You can do nothing. What Norway did was they threw out their machines, and so we're counting them by hand. They did it, and their Trump figure did not win. Other places where they're stuck with their machines, they did. And now Norway counts everything by hand because it wasn't that big a deal. You count at the precinct. You have everybody there. Everybody gets to see what's going on. You know, we had this in 2006, I think is when I ran you know, we had uh, we had to do this in Italy. Italy had the same problem, although I think theirs was a man in the middle as opposed to an actual hack because the precinct totals didn't add up to the final totals when we finally did the homework for them. So now they do their counting by hand. So that is what you have to do, and that's what people have to focus on. You know, people that were really hard Bernie supporters or hard somebody else supporter, if they don't get the election system where they can trust it, where they know it's right, it doesn't matter how much they push someone else because things can happen. And it won't necessarily be the Democrats want their candidate. The Russians could want their candidate out. The Chinese could want their candidate out. By having the machines we have with the vulnerabilities we have, it is fair game for anyone in the world with the budget and the desire to go in there and alter the elections. And so tinkery I- is going to... Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. I it's a clear and obvious danger, you know, that's available, you know, that I don't think anybody really considers it because they're just so used to being able to trust well, cheaper used to being able to trust the system. Well, they wouldn't use these machines if they were hackable, right? You know, and I um that that's the part of the film that was just kind of chilling, you know, especially when you're looking at pictures of this guy who um, allegedly killed himself and his shirt's all slashed up. And, you know, he, he definitely doesn't look like somebody who didn't have any kind of, you know, struggle with anybody at that point. Um, you know, that there are very powerful people in this situation who, you know, stand to benefit a great deal. Hey, folks, unfortunately, that's where the uh, connection was cut off some way by Blog Talk Radio, so I rescheduled with Mr. Curtis, and you'll be able to listen to the rest of this conversation this coming Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in, and I'm sorry about the embarrassment of this happening. Unfortunately, it could not be avoided, but thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to the rest of our conversation this Wednesday.